us. My name is Sam Daniels. I'm here with Ken Sugira, and uh, we're the authors of Buying Property in the USA, a Foreign Investor's Guide. Um, back with another podcast, and um, how you going, Ken? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you, Sam? Yeah, very good, thank you. Um, now, today, uh, what are we going to talk about? A strategy. Developing Investment strategy. Yeah. Investment strategy for the US. Okay. This is um, be another important um, chapter in the book, um, which those of you who plan to buy it can access, but we'll give you the sort of bare bones of it today in our discussions, how we see strategy for various classes of investors. But probably the first thing to, to deal with, um, Ken, is um, the overall overarching strategy of whether you uh, buy and hold or whether you do in the US what they term flipping houses, which is sort of buying low, renovating, selling high, in theory anyway. Mm. Well, flipping is is uh, is possible where there are obviously arbitrage opportunities in the marketplace and in the, in the U.S. in the current U.S. market because the prices and markets are all over the place, as you know. That on the same street, you can find a normal house for sale for hundred thousand dollars, and then you know two two blocks you know uh, two blocks down the track, you can you can find a house for twenty thousand dollars because it's under stress and um, so you know obviously you can buy twenty thousand dollars house and you can do it up and sell it to someone else for hundred thousand dollars to an end buyer potentially. Uh, potentially I mean that's just the extreme example and obviously everybody wants to lock in profits in uh, you know at the same time uh, I believe that's always only possible where you actually uh, live in the city and breathe this, you know the air all the time so that you can actually sense the opportunities um, so generally speaking we don't catch the arbitrage opportunities or flipping opportunities as an overseas investors because yeah. simply it's just too risky um, yeah. the way I look at it is that trying to buy cheap so that you could potentially flip but if you're buying cheap, you're actually having a very good rental return in terms of yield. So that yeah. it's as a long buy and hold investment, it's, it makes sense. And yeah. it, plus the, all the hassle, extra hassle of buying and selling from being away from the market, you probably start to wonder, okay, if it's only 10% profit flipping opportunity, yeah. um, whether it's, you know, you'd be bothered to do that sort of exercise. Yeah. With, especially with capital gains tax implications exactly. as well, yeah. Yeah. and the, as you point out, the logistical elements yeah. to it. Yeah, and plus, I suppose it's easy to, um, you know, you, you do need that local knowledge, don't you? Because you know, it's what like that expression in um, finances that you know, if you can't tell who the dumb money is in the room, it's That's probably right. you. So uh, I think that um, you know we have a definite disadvantage of being away from the market. We are distant um, investors. Yeah. So for us, we 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 take the different route to to tackle this opportunity, which is, in my view, is the only way to enjoy this is to buy and hold. Buy and hold. And yeah. how, how long do you think that means? In well, I, I think between three to you know five, seven years. I think that's yeah. the sort of view. Um, um, but the way that America is, you know, is is um, 
tackling the the issues and challenges at the moment. I mean, we are already seeing. You know, this is January 2013. After we started investing in the market for you know two years ago, the market's already showing stabilization. And actually, you know, everybody started to point out the point to the recovery this yeah. year. So I mean, it took only you know a year or two for, yeah. for the market to to start to go upwards. Yes. Um, so we may be surprised how far it, it might go in the next uh, couple of years. So keep our fingers crossed. But well, I think the one thing we have to remember is uh, taxation implication uh, in the U.S. If you don't hold uh, property for longer than one year, it's a short-term capital gain. And there's a way to uh, sort of uh, alleviate or to minimize the, the capital gain tax implication by buying, you know, um, through the um, um, the you know special system to, to reduce the tax, but generally speaking, one year is is you know is one sort of a threshold. Right. Yeah. And then also depending on where you live, the, your home country may have a different um, definition of long term versus short term capital gains. Right. Yeah. So because you are resident in that country, you'll be supposed to be reporting all that um, capital gains from US through, you know, LLCs or directly investments or whatever. So you have to consider all the tax implications. Yeah, and along with the practical implications. I mean, the other negative, I suppose, in terms of flipping is that the the savvy local investors have moved so far up the supply chain. Yeah. You know, they're on the... Um, doorstep of the sheriff's office, you know, buying the places it gets knocked down, having inspected it um, first and got a building inspection or a preliminary inspection. So it just um, makes it very difficult for you to to beat them, basically. Yeah, I think that you again, that's a definite disadvantage of being away from the market. So you know, if if that sort of opportunity comes up to us, that's not going to be the primary, you know, the probably the most sexy you know opportunity that comes to the overseas investors probably that's going to be something they obviously looked at by domestic guys and they don't think that um, profit margin is good enough so that's why they didn't touch it so that comes to the to guys like us and I mean look if you making 10 to 20 percent uh, flip opportunities instantly that's great yeah. if you multiply if you can do it like you know 10 times a year that's a hundred percent return however I mean you know again the chance of you may be able to encounter with such similar opportunities in you know that that many times yeah. as a uh, offshore investor uh, is questionable. So you know my view is that okay if you're getting 10 to 20 percent. Um, rental return for a year mm. and then plus the potential capital gains plus the exchange rate you know yeah um, implications better I think it's a better to hold uh, I think that seems to to uh, you know the numbers stuck up in that sense for buying save more. yourself a lot of head headaches yeah and if you want to enhance the return rather than doing flipping I think we talk in the next chapter that uh, using leverage yeah to go up 
in terms of uh, numbers, I think is probably more strategic in my view. Definitely. Yeah. Now, what about, um, we've probably got a range of readers and listeners here that, um, you know, if we broke them into three groups, uh, for the sake of a discussion, we're talking maybe some young go-getters in their 20s and 30s that want to get involved, and then the middle-aged folk, I suppose, if you put it that way, but in their 40s and 50s, and then lastly, retirees. So maybe if I can get you, Ken, to um, talk about how you chart a strategy for people in each of those groups in terms of what type of property and what type of market and how to approach it. Yeah, I think there are three groups. Uh, if we use the three de the definitions, I think the first group, you know, obviously uh, maybe a teenagers or even twenty uh, right, something yeah, yeah. who want to start out as a property investor or just a general investor. Um, in the U.S., the current U.S. market is, uh, I, I think, in my view, is extremely attractive place to learn about the magic of compound interest, mm -hmm. which is you buy even just a $20,000, $30,000 property, you're getting 20% return every year, and then you know you save that rent to buy another property, and then sooner or later, in five years' time, you'll be owning quite a few properties. And that's a great way of teaching your sons and daughters about saving yeah. and the potential capital gains. You know, you never know. The, you know, the kids may want to go back to graduate school later in the U.S. And you know, if you have a property in the city, you may be quite handy. Yeah. Um, and and those people, uh, when you started start out as a, you know, starting out in in your career, you may not have much credit from the bank's point of view, so you may not be able to borrow. So maybe yeah. a, a, it's a cash initially a cash play, but the, the value of the property in the U.S. is such that you may be able to, you know, for the amount of money you may be saving to buy a, uh, put the deposit in Australia, yeah. you could buy a, ultimately one house in, in a place yeah. like Detroit or, you know, um, somewhere in the south of Chicago or something. Yes. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a great way of teaching kids and teaching young people about the saving and the investing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and also in markets which are subject to very high property prices, it sort of encourages them to look outside the, the square, you know, and yeah. tread their own path, doesn't it? That's right, yes. What about, um, okay, so that's interesting in that for a person in their teens or um, 20s or 30s, I guess the most, uh, a capital gains type of property would probably be the best, but as you point out, they're not going to have much um, credit backing. So what sort of markets, you say you're probably going to have to go for something which is more skewed towards growth at the cheaper end. Mm. What sort of markets are we talking about there? Yes, I think that the, for the small end players, the, you know, with twenty or thirty thousand uh, dollars in your pocket, the markets uh, obviously number of markets are restricted. You know, and, I mean, obviously, a place like Detroit and you know, Ohio and all those relatively uh, manufacturing-based areas, mm. they're more sort of cash flow markets. Markets. Yeah. So it may not suit, in terms of the type of investment, the property, it doesn't really suit the youngster because they are, they should be going for the capital gains. Yeah. However, having said that, the access to the cash, uh, the access to the, the market,
market, which is relatively cheap end, and yeah. then, which means that risk is relatively low because even if you lose 20, you might have, you know, it's an amount of money you paid to, to buy a car anyway. Yeah. Uh, you might as well buy a property in a, in a, in a city which makes uh, a lot of cars, <laughs> you know. And um, the other option is maybe that, um, you know, for potential capital growth uh, and also owning a single-family home sometimes gives you a lot of work to do, whereas mm. you're owning a condo in a place like Orlando or Florida, $20,000, property, and they yeah. do, you know, body corp, um, you know, the uh, HOA looks after most of the uh, issues, yeah. and all you do, and it's usually the condos are in a really good location, they're often occupied, so it's less work, uh, right, yeah. and it's, it's sometimes even 10 grand, 20 grand, you buy one property, and you can actually tell your friends that you own the condo instead of in, um, you know, Cairns or Gold Coast, <laughs> that you own the condo in Florida. So sounds pretty cool and offering, you know, 10 to 20 percent, uh, you know, net return. Of course. So, yeah, so that may be a good, good, good way of starting out. What about, um, just before we move on to talk about the next age bracket, i want to been wanting to ask you for a long time, um, investments in the US are often presented to you as either a, a capital gains or a growth investment. Can't they be both? I mean... Yes. I think the sound investment should be, we should be looking at, I mean, my personal view is that um, even place like Detroit, it was, it was a, a relatively higher yield, I think has a huge capital gain potential. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, it's it's uh, you know it's uh, academics call it IRR basically it's the uh, income return plus the capital gain that's internal rate of return um, so you can actually derive either of them or yeah. combination of them to achieve your target IRR mm -hmm. and that's the that's the way you should be looking at it uh -huh. and if you want 10% IRR do you want to have 10% from income 0% capital growth whatever but it doesn't have to be either or it could be you know some markets um, I mean Warren Buffett is interesting because he goes for usually depressed um, shares which tend to have a high dividend yields uh -huh. and often end up having a very high bounce back kind of a potential in terms of uh, equity price. Right. Yeah. So it actually ultimately giving, is giving him a capital gain on top of the high yield yeah, that he's been, you know, high cash flow. So, I mean, my view is that deep value, I call it deep value kind of um, markets like Detroit, or, you know, I think it offers potential capital gain even while we are still enjoying a high cash flow. Excellent. Now, what about the next group, um, people moving into their, their 40s and 50s, so mid-career to late career? Yeah, 40s, 50s, I assume that those people already have... Um, relatively established career, career uh, and have some family uh, commitment or family mortgage or you know all the other type of things but they started to you know think about the, um, retirement down the track um, US presents a very exciting opportunity to for them to add 
to their portfolio. Um, so in, in that sense, um, uh, you could probably go for a combination of both, capital gains and uh, income potential. Yeah. And I mean, U.S., everywhere in the U.S., in my view, it's offers, most of the places in the U.S. offers both, you know, opportunities. So um, yeah. basically, um, they can just pick in, you know, any markets uh, they like, you know. So this comes back to what we discussed uh, in, in markets initially, that um, we've tended not to get too hung up on the merits, respective merits of one versus the other. We've often based it on our contacts, haven't we? I think the contacts, uh, local team is very important. And also I think it's it's good to build your uh, local knowledge and contacts and so that you become expert in one area rather than, you know, spreading your investment in 51 states. 51 it's, states, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's pretty exciting to do that, but um, I think there will be a lot of hassle and it's not practical. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I have four states exposure, but even four states, is, you know, keeps me quite busy. So yeah. I, I just wondered if some people have like six or eight or ten yeah. states exposure or cities exposure. That just, uh, you know, under, under, uh, well, then again, depends on the size of your portfolio. If you start to become bigger investor, uh, you have more time to be looking after your portfolio in terms of bookkeeping sense, also in terms of visiting the cities and all that. Um, then it may make sense to look at the broader market. But um, as I said, the, you could do all the macro research first and decide on the markets and and then maybe you may want to have a combination of cash flow market and really high capital growth market like, um, you know, even like Phoenix or, you know, California Texas. or Texas. Yeah, that's a good example versus the uh, cash flow market like Chicago or, or Detroit or and then, and then have a uh, sort of a middle of the road market like Florida. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm reluctant to confuse the picture, but the capital gain is kind of relative, isn't it? You know, like our assessment of uh, Texas and Phoenix is um, Arizona is that um, we might have missed the boat on the, the the first half of the capital capital rise. So, I mean, yeah, it's perceived as a safe market where you get a good capital gain, but much of that's already occurred. Whereas right. in other markets, the cheaper ones, it's perhaps not occurred. Yeah, I think it's a relative value uh, issue discussion. You know, if the market's already gone up, you, why do you chase them? You know, and um, and uh, yield is income yield is very attractive in my view because um, even if you get your focus wrong on the capital growth, so long as you're having a stable tenant, you're actually getting a cash flow. Yes. So eventually, that will compensate for your, uh, you know, for your investment and um, and uh, potential expected capital gains. Okay. Now, what about uh, people in their um, 40s and 50s are often, I suppose, um, they've developed more expensive hobbies and um, they might be paying a, a large mortgage in their home country, so they're a bit cash poor. Um, like, what's the best way, do you think, for these people to free up Leverage. experimental cash yeah. for the U.S. investment? Yeah, I think so. That um, they, you know, obviously, that's this is the age bracket that who probably have more access to some sort of leverage uh -huh. or borrowing from friends and families and uh, being able to raise equities or uh -huh. whatever, using, in other words, other people's money to yep. to increase your bet, basically. Right. Um, 
and um, and which is I think a sensible thing to do at the moment, um, given the U.S. markets, um, you know, becoming more and more, you know, obviously very clear that that this direction is going, you know, upwards rather than downwards. Okay. Um, and the access to finance is, we will talk about it next in the next chapter in more details. But generally speaking, you know, there's a choice between either you have access in the U.S. or versus your home country. But um, either way, you have to think carefully about the, how you structure the debt and uh, how you access the, the apply that to the market. Yes, exchange rate risks and all that. But um, we're getting towards the end of our time. But we want to talk just briefly about um, how this is also an investment potentially for older people um, who are, have retired or are on the verge of retiring. Yeah. Um, I think the people in that sort of age bracket um, obviously want to use this as a sort of a superannuation uh-huh. or pension kind of money. Annuity or something. Annuity, and uh, I mean, and, and it's a great way of. Um, I mean, property is a great um, um, annuity investment anyway. So, um, however, uh, these people may not want to, you know, use too much leverage yeah. because that will eat up their um, income. You know, income flow, cash flow. Right. Yeah, yeah. So they, these people will obviously go for the high cash flow. Relatively, they, they'll be, you know, so long as the property value is in going going up in line with the CPI or inflation, yeah. they, they should be happy because they obviously not going to be going for the huge capital gains like 25-year-old wants. Yeah. And uh, but they will be happier if they have a higher income flow so that they can pay for their retirement life. Excellent. Okay. Well, look, I think that probably there'll be much more uh, in detail in the book um, on this, and um, we encourage you to buy it, of course. Um, You can buy it through our website, um, www.buyingpropertyintheusa.com. Thanks very much for that overview, Ken, and um, we'll um, be back again to talk a bit more about leverage and um, sources of finance for investment next time. Thank you, Sam.